Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome, brothers and sisters, to an audio experience brought to you by Muslims on the Move, a program of Advanced Platform Committee. Once again, we want to engage with you through this podcast and hope it benefits you. So take a listen to this week's episode and let us know what you think. Um, with us today, we have Sister Monsura Otum. She's from Providence slash Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Uh, she is a licensed attorney um, in the state of Rhode Island. Um, and she has a whole bunch of other degrees and accomplishments and qualifications. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring some of those uh, qualifications she has and those certifications. So I'll just start by letting you introduce yourself a bit, um, Sister Monsura. So I'll give you the floor for a bit. Okay. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I'm hearing you perfectly. Okay. Um, so as Sister Rahima said, my name is Mansura Otsum. I live in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. I work as an attorney with the city of Providence. Um, my job entails uh, many different things. Um, I started out doing some um, APRA work, which is really just doing public records requests. Um, and then I transitioned into doing prosecution for a little bit. Um, I do a little bit of municipal court prosecution still, um, rather than the criminal prosecution I was doing um, a while back. I also work on government contracts, um, as well as our cybersecurity initiatives and infrastructure. Um, and I advise some of our city boards. Um, so just to sum up, my, my job is, is interesting. It's very comprehensive. Um, but that's my, my day-to-day life as an attorney. I've been with the city for a little over two years. Before that, I was working with Rhode Island Legal Services, mostly with victims of domestic violence. Um, our goal was to try to get them the restraining orders that they needed, as well as um, help them with their custody battles um, and petitions for divorce. So that's a little bit of my background over the last three years, I would say. Before we delve into um, your career right now and some of the dynamics that that has, I wanted us to start from like the genesis from when you graduated college, which was in, uh, what year was that in? 2006. Okay. So, but from 2006, when you graduated college and how things have kind of shifted and the aspirations you had then have turned out or changed or um, some of the things you encountered that you didn't expect is like what we'll be going through as the episode goes along. But just starting from what you did right after college and what you were planning to do from college. um, Okay. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can still hear you. Okay. Um, so when I went into to college, I went in undecided. I didn't really know what I wanted to major in. I knew that I wanted to go to law school, so I did do pre-law. Mm-hmm. Um, I just okay. took some meds. And then 
I had a mentor in college who was a human development major, and she suggested that I take some human development classes. Um, okay. I took some human development classes, really liked it, and decided that I was going to major in human development with a focus in community advocacy and social policy. Um, and then I minored in Black Studies and a program called Faith, Peace, and Justice. So I knew I wanted to do something justice-related. I knew I wanted to give back. I knew I wanted to do something community-oriented. But I didn't have a particular idea of what I wanted to do. Um, when I graduated from college, I didn't want to go to law school right away. It wasn't a decision that I felt you should jump into. I wanted to make sure that it was really what I wanted to do before I went. So I decided to just get a job. I worked at um, a company called MetLife for a little bit. I worked in the HR department and then in the claims department, decided that I didn't want to do insurance forever. So I left and started working at a nonprofit organization. We did a lot of work um, supporting nonprofit organizations that wanted to get started. We did training, technical assistance, um, and we gave out grants. Um, I really liked the work that I did. And so my focus became economic development. I went back to school, uh, gained my certification in entrepreneurship and marketing. Um, from there, I decided that um, law school is still like a passion of mine and I would regret it if I didn't go. So I talked to a couple lawyers, you know, got some advice from them. And then I, I learned that my focus would be community and economic development law. It was a new and up and coming uh, area of law at the time, but it was just something that really interested me. Um, so then I went to, to law school. I worked another job after that job for a little bit as a program manager, decided to go to law school, went to law school. Um, for three years. When I was in law school, I wanted to work. Um, so there's something called transactional law, which is really like business law, where you help people um, in the community who want to start their own business or start their own nonprofit, or just like deal with some of the legal things that um, can get in the way of doing great, really great work. So that's what I wanted to do. Right. Um, when I went to see my career advisor, she she said that it was going to be difficult to, like, really figure out how to, like, go down that path and that I'd have to, like, create create it for myself. So I tried to find opportunities mm. in the area. Uh, it was really difficult to do that. Um, I did find a couple jobs here and there working to support businesses. I, I became sort of like an independent contractor where I helped people um, create, like, business and legal instructions or like just gave advice to their nonprofit organizations and things like that. Um, when I passed the bar exam, I got a job at Rhode Island Legal Services um, doing what I mentioned. I think I mentioned it earlier, working with victims of yes. violence. I was only there for about three years yeah. when I was offered a position to work for the city as an assistant city solicitor. Um, and I have been there ever since. <laughs> uh, mm. And then, yes, I did go back to school for cybersecurity. One of my law school colleagues approached me and she thought that I would really enjoy the cybersecurity program. She had just graduated from it and it talks a lot, a lot about policy um, and things like that. And, and give that it's a, an area that's really um, affecting every aspect of our lives. I felt like it just made sense for me at the time. So I did just graduate this year with a master's in cybersecurity and I am Yay. into into my uh, work.
Right. So a dynamic is the like that's just the perfect word to go over, you know, like your career transitions and the whole trip for you. Um, so the first one where you say you worked in human development for an insurance company um, and how you didn't want to work in insurance, you know, forever, how, what made you make the decision that you wanted to go into nonprofits? Did you just carry over, you know, that human development um, degree that you had and go into the a nonprofit world, or was there something that really just attracted you about the nonprofit world? So I, I feel like God has a way of just making things happen. At least for me in my life, I feel like God always sort of steers me in one direction or the other. And hmm. the time when I was working at the insurance company, my car was having a lot of issues. And um, hmm. I when so I started out in in the company as a, a temp and then I was hired permanently by the company and um, I had already when I was working there as a temp I had applied for a bunch of jobs I knew I wanted to do community work so I had applied for a bunch of jobs but then I was hired permanently after I was hired permanently that's when I started to hear back from the, some of the jobs that I applied for so right around oh. the time that I'm hearing back from the jobs that I'm applying for my car breaks down um so- it was sort of like, okay, the, so the insurance company that I was working for was not anywhere close to home. It was quite a drive and it would be really difficult for me to get there by bus. And so mm-hmm. I had to make this decision about, you know, what am I going to do? And my boss at the time, she was just like, even if I have to come pick you up, I can bring you here. You know, like it's not a problem. And I was just like, you know, I don't think that that's ideal, you know? So I think it just made sense for me to like work closer to home. I could take the bus. Um, and I was offered a job with the, the nonprofit that I worked at, um, and I absolutely just loved it. it. It was an opportunity for me to really grow soon after college. And I got to do a lot of work mm. that I think still influences the work that I do today. Right. Right. So, you know, just like you said, a lot of work, uh, God just has a way of kind of like putting you on a certain path that you d- don't necessarily it wasn't in your plans um or it's not something you envisioned but you know how do you find it how do you find that transition how do you find yourself blending into the those unexpected new journeys basically um I think sometimes they're challenging but I try to pray as much as possible for God to like guide my direction and help me to understand where I should be and why I should be there um so I I wouldn't say that it's always easy but what I'll say is that somehow some way I feel like he just puts it in my heart to like do the thing that makes the most sense it was the same thing when I um did the cybersecurity program same thing when I eventually decided to go to law school um there were times when I was gonna turn back but then God just sort of like really opened the the way for me and created opportunity where maybe there wouldn't have been or shouldn't have been um Right. So I feel like he keeps just putting me where I need to be. And I think for me, I, I when I get to that point, I'm just like, all right, God, like if you put me here, I'm going to trust you. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Why you put me here? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. 
but fine. If, if you if you're choosing this for me, then it has to be for a reason. So I I kind of just like go on faith a little bit. For a lot of people sharing, you know, you just kind of have to like go with the flow with what Allah does in your life, basically, and keep up with the faith. It's not easy. Um, you know, a lot, especially when you're the kind of person who plans your life out to the T and you're just kind of thrown on this loop of something that you completely don't expect. Is it how, you know, is it always your first initial reaction that this is the last plan for me? Um, or do you think that sometimes you have to just sit in it a bit before you get to that place where you can finally admit to yourself that, okay, this is just what Allah has planned for me. So I just have to kind of go with his pace and his plan. I think what happens for me is that I, I'm I'm a planner and I Mm. make sure that I do everything in my power possible. So like, if, um, for example, I, I'm actually right now, I, I've been actually given two different job offers and I'm trying to weigh them and, and I pray about it a lot. Right. And one of the things that mm. I do is I I'm like, OK, what didn't I do? What kind of questions do I need to ask? Who do I need to talk to? What are the things that I need to consider? What do I need to write? Like I sort of go through all the steps. And then once I've done everything in my power possible, I'm like, all right, God, like direct me, you know, wherever you want me to go, just make right. that path easy for me. So then like, I feel like right. will happen. Usually if like something happens where path becomes really easy or like another path becomes, um, I guess, less easy or more difficult. And so it's like, all right, you know what? This feels right. Like it, it, it's never a hundred percent, right? Like you're never going to know a hundred percent, like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to go. But I don't think there's an actual right. answer. I think it's like, you do everything that you can do. You pray about it. And then you trust that the decision you made was the right one. Um, so wherever you end up, you have to know that there's good in it. Um, and that you just have to find the good and hold on to that. Um hopefully somebody who just heard that you know is positively impacted by that especially somebody who might have been you know going through a moment of not necessarily knowing what the next step was for them hopefully hopefully they find some comfort in what you said so um going back to you know your trend trend transitions um when you went from the, you, well, while you were still in the uh, nonprofit world, what was the spark that finally lit in you and just made you say, I'm going to law school, I will go to law school and finally, you know, chip that dream that I wanted, especially in um, a society, which is the Nigerian society that I'm referring to right now, where people kind of put everything into immediate action like right after school you have to go to law school or medical school if you want to do either right after high school you have to do college you know they put the pressure of all of those things on you so what was and if and it's like if you don't do it then then you can never do it what was the spark for you that just made you say you know I'm just gonna go to law school um regardless of you know where I am in terms of how far how later on after college this is i 
did mock trial, I felt like it was something that I was really good at. I, you know, won a lot of certificates for that. Um, but by the time I got to law, I mean, by the time I got to undergrad, uh, I just wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do 100%. And I didn't want to jump into something, especially when law school is really expensive. So I, I took some time off. I just wanted to get work experience. Um, I feel like I wanted to um, just know what it was like to be out there in the world, you know, right. and, you know, see if my path would lead me somewhere else. Um, so I, I kind of just like worked and felt like, you know, let me see what happens. Let me see where it guides me. Um, but what happened was I felt like law school was always in the back of my mind. Like it never went away. So like mm. every time, you know, like a legal show would be on TV or, you know, like, I don't know. It was just like little stuff here and there that kept coming up. And I was like, I got to go to law school. Like, I'm not going to be happy until I, I go. And so a couple of years before I turned 30, I was like, um, I want to go before I turn 30, you know, like I, I, I don't right. want to do those things I look back on and just like wish I would have done. So right. when I was like, all right, we're going to start the application. We're going to like start little by little. We're going to study for the LSAT. We're going to, you know, do this and do that and take this step and that step. And then next thing you know, I'm in law school. Right, right. And, you know, like you said, it's the little things. And I think when you have a dream and you haven't, you know, chased that dream yet, it's the little things that spark the flame that makes you reignite it to one try it all again um and you yeah. know you never forget about it until you try it so I understand you know the 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 mindset of doing it before you know it's kind of too late and then you regret not doing it even though I don't ever think it's too late because I remember you were telling me once that there was like a 70 year old in um law school with you so um, yeah so I'll say a couple things. One, yeah, there not 70, 40, but sorry. Yeah, she, sorry. <laughs> she was 40, but she graduated as valedictorian of her class. So I don't think it's ever too late to follow your dream. I will say this though, there was a part of me that did fight law school a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I had applied and gotten in and I remember I, I feel like I've told this story to a couple people already, but I had I was in um Saudi Arabia actually, um, for Umrah and I I was just like, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. I emailed my school and I was like, I'm not coming. And they emailed me back and they were like, well, what do we need to do to get you to come? And so that's when I was like, all right, here I am in Saudi Arabia. I'm, I'm praying at the Kaaba. Like God must really want me to go to law school. <laughs> right, right. So, um, because I was just the like, I was like, let me just study. I'll study my Quran and just, I don't know, get married and settle down. And, you know, but my school was just like, no, no like, what, what do we need to do? We really want you to come. And then my, I was surrounded by family members. They were like, wow, like it's, it must be your path. Like you need to go, <laughs> you know? So right. Um, I, I definitely feel like even when you're trying to run away from something, if God wants you to go, you're going to go. Right. And I mean, like, I just want to, you know, use this as a reference for anybody who, you know, sometimes um, feels like the path that, they're so scared of, but signs are telling you, you know, this is the path for you. Um, they kind of feel inspired. If you, like, would you change anything back then? Like, if you, knowing what you know now, would you go back in time and, um, you know, 
leave law school when you wanted to? Or do you think that that was absolutely the right decision you made? Like, do you have any regrets for staying in um, law school? I, well, I'll say this. I'll say law school was challenging for me, even though I sort of went in with my eyes open. You know, I had talked to a lot of lawyers before I went into law school. I knew what to expect to an extent, but you mm. still you'll never really know what to expect until you get there. And it was challenging for me. It definitely wasn't what I had hoped it was going to be for me. Um, and so it was extremely challenging. It was one of those things where I felt like, God, why did you put me here? Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, but I, I'm one of those people who, um, if, if I start something, I, I feel like I should finish it. And I don't think that's true for everything, but I think there are mm. some things that I, if I start it, I, I think it's important to finish. But also, I feel like everything happens for a reason. You know what I mean? I, I think mm. that I tried to avoid it a couple times. And, you know, I, I feel like because of the way that I prayed about it, I felt like I have to trust it. And I do feel like having a law degree has helped propel me to where I am now. And I do think that it will continue to help me to get to where I wanna be in the future. So I think um, sometimes we don't know the value of something until um, after the fact that, you know, like it's it's sort of like a quote that Steve Jobs said, you know, like you're you're not gonna be able to understand it looking forward. It's only looking backwards that you're gonna be Mm. able to see the whole picture. So you kind of have to trust the journey as you go. And then you're going to be like, oh, so that's why I had to go through this, you know, to get here. And right. then, so once I've made the decision, I think that I try to trust it from there and not mm. well on, you know, maybe I should have did this or maybe that wasn't the right decision. I think right. it's a matter of like always asking yourself, where do I go from here? Right. And it's not an easy path, but I think if you, you know, always keep in mind that the reward will be worth um you know, the stress, like, you know, it's, it's the journey, but when you get to that destination, you're just going to look back, like you said, and you're just going to be like, oh, it was well worth it. Um, So I think that that can be, you know, some kind of just like a beacon of hope for anybody who's kind of going down a path that they're really questioning, but it's something that they truly want to do and they find value in to just stick through with it. And, um, you know, like on, I mean, if it's absolutely draining you to an extent where you can't see any future, don't don't push yourself. But just keep in mind that the reward will most likely be worth, you know, all the effort that you put into it. And I think that, you know, the the story you just told is a good example of that because that path was not easy for you. I know this personally because <laughs> it was in your life back then. Um, but to see now where you are and, you know, I remember when you told me you got an offer from the city and I was like, I was so surprised and excited for you. And, you know, now that you're in a new path again and how, you know, everything is just like really falling into place with you, even though there's still stress along the way, you know, there's still new, more exciting things that are going on for you. And, you know, you've put those two, three years of law school kind of on the back burner now. Um, So, the next stage in your transition, you know, um, you passed the bar and then you began working with, uh, can you, can you say it in your own words? I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up. Um, so my, what, what do you want me to say? Like, like my, the, jo- the job you were doing right after you passed oh, the okay. bar. Rhode Island Legal Services. Right. 
I was an attorney um, with Legal Services, which is a nonprofit organization, and I supported domestic violence victims to get uh, restraining orders mostly. Okay. Actually, you know, before we move away from that, just a quick question in regards to that. That is a very intense job or line of work to be in. Were there times that maybe you feared for your safety? Um, How did you kind of balance pursuing something that has such impact, but also maintaining your like mental and physical well-being? Like, how was that for you? Was it a challenge or was it relatively easier than you might have expected? So first I'll say, talk about God guiding your path, right? I The two areas of law that I told myself I would never do or never practice are family law and prosecution. <laughs> and um, I my, my first job was family law doing some restraining orders, like I said, and then I, I became a prosecutor. So I think it's really interesting, but it gives you perspective, right? So working right. as an attorney doing the, the um, the domestic violence stuff. My very first day in court, um, the defendant lashed out at the victim and it was like a whole crazy scene. He ended up being arrested and I ended up writing a statement um, as a witness to the violation of the restraining order. So that was my first day. Um, wow. And... I was like, okay, this is definitely going to be interesting. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't say that I've ever fear, feared for my life. Um, I think I'm glad that I did it or that I was pushed into it because it gave me an appreciation for that type of work. Um, and it made me also understand that I could do it. You know, at, at first right. I, I was like, I could never do family law. And, and part of the reason why I never wanted to do family law is because I did an internship uh, or program when I was in law school and I was in the court juvenile court system in Brooklyn. And I was just like, I, I could never be a part of this. It was just too intense for me. And so I chose to stay away from family law. Um, but I think right. that's definitely an area where attorneys are, are very much needed. And I think I saw that I could be an advocate and be very helpful. Um, I would right. think that it is very stressful. Your caseload is, is crazy. And you know, sometimes you're the person you're trying to help sees you as the bad guy. Um, mm. Never mind having to deal with a defendant who just, you know, is not cooperative. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they are cooperative. Um, but I, I never felt afraid. I think I um, felt confident and empowered to do what I was there to do, and mm. I. I um, I felt supported by my job, by my boss, and by my coworkers. So I never felt alone in the work that I did. And I don't know. I I also felt support from the court staff. I don't know. I was in a very um, great environment. They would give me feedback. They told me I was great. It was my first time. Even I never planned on being a trial attorney. It was my first time in court. And they're like, "Have you been doing this for years?" I'm like, uh, "No." <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it was it was a great experience. But I was only there for like three, four months. So you know, I, I didn't I didn't do it for that long. Right. I just also want to point out how it's amazing how you were representing as a black Muslim woman, a black hijabi at that, um, you know, going into court with your full hijab as a black woman and still getting 
that level of support and still having that amount of confidence, I think that that's something that needs to be high, um, complimented. And I think it can also show people who maybe sometimes have some kind of reluctance because of their identity to go into certain fields that they have some kind of interesting. And I just think it shows that, you know, yes, sometimes we encounter a lot of negativity, but we also can be put in situations where people react to us outside of whatever we look like and just solely based off of our, um, our, what's the word? Our skills, our qualities. Um, and I mean, then again, Rhode Island is a very blue state, very liberal, but nonetheless, um, it just shows how, you know, don't let, you know, perceptions or prejudice hold you back and put yourself at that table, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's something you definitely did. I would say even um, when I, the reason why I got the job um, at Family Family Services, I had interned there. Um, soon after I got out of law school and my supervisor was very impressed with me. I was doing some work in the, on the housing side, actually, and he was very impressed with me. So as soon as I, I passed the bar, he reached out to me and he was like, you have to apply. He was like, you'd be really great. And I messaged him and I was like, mind you, this is a white man. Um, mm. He was just like, uh, I was like, oh, oh, I was like, I don't, I don't really want to do family law. <laughs> and right. he was like, still just apply, just apply. And so I applied. Mm. I was so sick at my interview. I was really, really sick. I was interviewed by like a bunch of people, including him. Mind you, I had just told him told him that I didn't want to do family law. And now I'm trying to convince these people that I do want to do family law. So, um, so I feel like he's the reason why I like got in the door. You know what I mean? Um, mm. And I know that I, I had some support from a judge that I externed with. She also put in a good word for me as well. But um yeah, I, I think like if you are just skillful at what you do and you you give your all, I think people will see that and they will advocate for you on your behalf. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's always just like putting your best foot forward. Um, it doesn't mean you're not going to run into situations. Like I ha- I run into situations where people think that I'm not the attorney. You know, like they think that you're mm-hmm. the, the secretary or the clerk or the defendant or whatever. Like you definitely have mm-hmm. circumstances where that occurs. But I feel like it's just really important to carry yourself with confidence and to go in knowing what you're doing and just like being the best version of you. And people will see, will see that and take notice. And at least here in Rhode Island or in the city of Providence, I've gotten a lot of support from judges and attorneys and um, just colleagues. So I, I feel right. like for that. Right. So that's another even thing to even like discuss further. So now we're going to move from, you know, you doing the family law and you working for the city as a persecutor. Um, can you, just so I don't make any misconceptions and people don't have misconceptions. What part of criminal were you in? Were you in like kind of just in all parts of the criminal or were you in a particular uh, line of work? So um, I, I think I know what you're asking, but um when so criminal law at the city level is just misdemeanors, but it could be anything um, from larceny, which is stealing something, to domestic violence cases, um, to like assault, simple assault, um, DUIs. Um, it, it could be a number of different things, but we do misdemeanors, and the state does the felonies. 
Um, okay. So yeah, I, I did a number of different cases, had a couple trials, but it's all it's all on the, the misdemeanor level. Okay. Okay. Just wanted to clarify so like nobody has any confusions, including myself. But um, how does it feel as again a black woman growing up in the U.S. being on quote unquote the other side of the law? Um, it's not something that happens often, but definitely it's happening more now. So how is it like for you as a black person, as a persecutor? We need more prosecutors. We need more black prosecutors. I I think that it's a misconception that, you know, our people are sometimes like anti-prosecution. And that's the way I was in law school. And I used to get very frustrated with those people who are like all about prosecution. But I think we need more um, black prosecutors because there's something called prosecutorial discretion. And I feel like it gives you, it's like you you hold the power, right? The power is with you and it's not with um, defense attorneys, to be honest. Um, granted, there's some like facts that go into whether or not you can proceed with the case or not, right? But you get to choose right. if you have the evidence, whether or not you actually want to go forward. And you also get to choose how lenient you want to be in terms of um, plea deals. And even in terms of um, if you do end up going to trial, you get to make recommendations to the judge that the judge can take into consideration. So mm. I feel like because of the amount of power that prosecutors have and that judges have um, when it comes to these cases, I feel like we need more people of color that understand these issues um, so that there's a little bit of a little bit more justice that can take place. Um, and justice is a is a is a very intricate thing and it's a very interesting thing, right? Um, the mm. law is the law and you can't um, you can't do something illegal, right? Sometimes you have to do what you have to do based on the law. But there is a level of discretion, right? And I, I do think right. that as a prosecutor, there are things that you can take into consideration when a defense attorney or a defendant comes up to you and they're like, listen, this is my situation. This is what happened. This is what I can do, you know, especially at the misdemeanor level. You know, if it's a kid, you know, or somebody who um, was just at the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, you can offer things like community service or, you know, things that don't require the person to um, end up having a record for the rest of their lives. Um, I know in Rhode Island, we tend to be, um, a little bit more on the, the forgiving side, especially with first offenses. Um, but I, I do think that we need to have more conversations about not just officers, you know, but what that looks like on the prosecutorial side. Um, and then even from the level of judges, I think we have way more power than even the police do to choose what cases we go forward with. Um, and then also prosecutors are the ones that can prosecute police officers, you know, if they do hmm. violate, you know, their own codes of conduct and stuff like that. So I feel hmm. like prosecutors need to be brought into the conversation a bit more and they definitely need to be trained a bit more. I've had conversations with the mayor in my city about that, just making sure that we're thinking about different trainings that we can do to really educate prosecutors and even judges on how to deal with different scenarios and situations um because as mm. far as i know you know not everybody gets trained in stuff like that mm. that's that's very powerful and i definitely agree with you um we need to be you know 
reflected and we need our own voices heard in that line of work. Uh, sometimes you just have to kind of infiltrate this, inf is that the word? Infiltrate the system and basically just take your own stand. So I agree with you on that path. The other thing I would like to ask, final question on, you know, the persecution before we move on to the next part of your career. Um, how does how how does how do you balance your faith with some of the things that you might see? Um, again, you know, like you mentioned, you're not in felony, so you're not in anything too severe um, in the scope of things. But how does it impact your faith seeing some of the things you see? Um, and I'm sure you've definitely seen some pretty tough people in some pretty tough circumstances as well. So how is that for you? How how much of an impact does that have on your faith? as a Muslim? Um, I think it's actually the other way around. I think my faith has an impact on the way I choose to address situations. I feel like um, I'm more on the vocal side and I feel like where I am, it puts me in a great position to actually affect change. Um, I have a pretty good relationship with the mayor here and we have some pretty good things that are happening that the mayor just signed off on a truth, reconciliation and reparations initiative that the city is working on. And I've had some candid conversations conversations with him as well as with um, other people at the city about race relations and things like that. And I feel like it's my faith that encourages me to like speak up um, despite whatever consequences may come. Because I know that as a person, if I'm quiet, I don't know if that I could live with myself without being true to who I am. I think it's really important to feel like you did what you know you needed to do that at least that's important for me and I, I recently had right. a conversation with a coworker, and I said the same thing to her you know obviously people of color deal with inequities all the time and there was something that was that continues to really bother her and I'm like I understand what you're what you're feeling because I feel it too right but like mm. we forget that when we don't speak up um, it has more of an impact on ourselves rather than other people it's sort of right. subconsciously we start to believe that we're not deserving or that we don't have a voice or that we're, mm. we're not worthy. And I feel like at least if we speak up, it gives you a sense of like, I did what I could, you know, I right. what I needed to say. And if it goes forward, I know that I did everything in my power to move it forward. And so right. I feel at peace with myself knowing that there are things that can be done, things that I know that I can do and I'm doing them. And then wherever right. it goes from there, I leave that in the hands of Allah. But at least I know that I'm putting in the effort and the work and that when I leave, they will know me. They'll know, you know, like my, my voice is definitely heard. I'm actually the Muslim American liaison for the city as well. So oh, wow. I feel like um, my impact is, is there and mm. I can walk away feeling okay that people will understand people like me just a little bit more. Um, right. And I think that that's definitely, you know, the the major point in that, that we can't always expect other people to do it for us. We need to do it ourselves as long as we feel like we have the means and the ability. Um, and like you said, it becomes like a personal challenge when you feel like you can do something that you're not doing it or you're not doing enough. So, you know, just put in the first work, leave yourself with no opportunity for regrets and then just leave the rest to Allah and know that you've done your best. I definitely agree with that point. Ooh, that was pretty, that was pretty, 
some pretty heavy lifting there. <laughs> so moving on to the next phase for you. So after, well, while practicing uh, law, which you, you still practice, you, like you mentioned earlier, your friend had uh, spoken to you and you decided to do cybersecurity. How was that process for you? Like, as especially as somebody who went to college for human development and then law school, I wouldn't say you really had anything to do with the engineering or the technical side of things. Um, so how was, you know, fitting into the cyber security world for you? So the program that I did, the, the master's degree is actually cybersecurity governance and policy. So um, our classes were a mix of both technical and non-technical courses. Um, okay. It was pretty well-rounded, which I really liked. Um, there were some legal classes, not um, I'll say law-related classes. Um, there were classes on um, different things. And, and I felt like it was a really good way of understanding cybersecurity at a high level. Um, and then we got in the weeds and we took some technical classes, which, you know, it, they were a little bit challenging for me, but I'm really interested in stuff like that. So um, I don't think that deterred me. It was definitely a challenge because it, it's an area that I'm not familiar with. And, um, right. you know, trying to balance working full time and trying to do this master's part time, it was definitely difficult, especially when you're learning a subject that is not familiar to you. And then I ended right. up like getting sick at the end of my program, which is when I had my technical courses and then COVID happened. So I feel like it was definitely a challenge, um, but I, I don't regret it. Um, I feel like it's only going to enhance wherever I go from here. Like I, I'm very much interested in the technical side. I'm hoping to get certified um, and, and do a little bit more of the technical work. But I also like that I can speak to the governance side. Um, I am working with the city doing a lot of in infrastructure work um, in relation to cybersecurity, which I think is really important, not just for companies, not just for the government, but for individuals as well. Um, mm. There's a lot that we don't know, um, and there's a lot of things that we should be doing to protect ourselves, and we just don't think about it. So mm. I think it's an area of work that is only going to continue to grow, and I hope that I continue to grow with it. Um, but in terms of balancing that in the law, I would say right now it's a challenge. Um, I My boss is great. He's very understanding, and he's willing to accommodate me and give me time to do what I need to do when I need to do it. He just basically asks me what I need, and I let him know, and, and I can basically do whatever I need to do. So I, I have a great boss in regards to that. Um, but um, while cybersecurity and the law are very much intertwined, um, it, it is a lot to, to try to manage all of the things that I'm, I'm trying to do with the city. Um, and I think as I continue to do this work, I'll get a little bit more clear about where exactly I wanna be and where I need to be. Um, mm. and I'm confident that um, I'll, I'll sort of start to fit more into where I'm supposed to be um, in the near future. Inshallah, inshallah. It's just another, another, um... Uh, I don't want to say challenge. I don't want to use the word challenge, but th that's the essence um, for you to just kind of overcome and again, go forward and then look backwards later on down the line and see that it was definitely worth the the effort you put into it, inshallah. Definitely. I'll, I, so, will say, I will say, sorry, um, I'll, I'll just say that 
Um, it's I, I did it to myself, right? So I went into my job and I was like, <laughs> these are the things I noticed and these are the things we need to change. And I'm basically, I assembled a team, but I'm sort of at the, the head of it. And so I think mm. the pressure is just coming from trying trying to lead this on my own, um, not right. the department that, we, that was already created, but sort of pulling from the different departments to create this new sort of infrastructure. So I, I won't say it's always right. a challenge, but I think when you're leading something and trying to do other work on the side, it starts off challenging. So, you know, right. willing, it, it will it will get better. I mean, inshallah. But I mean, I know you personally, and I know you're the kind of person who takes the lead for or at least you initiate the idea um and you know it turns into something great a lot of times so well most of the time i've seen um and you know you put in all the effort and i know how you can be like you can you give a thousand percent so i see how you know it's stressful for you but i also do don't knowing you as a person i don't think that you would have known the things that you can work on or you have the ability to work on and not done it and you would have been comfortable with yourself mm-hmm. knowing you as who you are um so now in kind of wrapping it up like you know you've gone through all these different phases and you've accomplished so many different things and you've kind of touched several fields a lot of them connecting to each other and a lot of them having nothing to do with each other for you, what is kind of like your overall goal? Like, where do you want to keep driving towards? And, you know, with everything you have accomplished so far, what do you, like, how do you think you can centralize everything to making it one? And we haven't even talked about, like, your your side gigs, by the way. But mm-hmm. um, how do you want to kind of centralize everything and make the most use of it? Um, I think my my purpose to me is very much centered around social justice reform and community and economic development. Um, economic development is extremely important to me, and I think it's absolutely necessary for any group of people to really thrive. And so I feel like that's always going to be at the heart of what I do. Um, and I think that all of these other things like law and cybersecurity are just ways to offer support, knowledge, instruction, um, and guidance on how to really move both the institutions we have currently, but also just like individually, what can we do to support ourselves and, and how do we move right. forward? So I feel like whatever I end up doing or whatever path I end up following, it, it does start out with that first major I had back in undergrad. Um, it is about community advocacy and social policy. It is about human development. It is about faith, peace, and justice, and really just like finding ways to create space for people to thrive no matter where right. they're at, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I think that if we remove barriers like the legal barriers or just provide legal understanding or find ways to incorporate those things so that we can be more successful. Um, I, I think it just clears the way for people to thrive in a way that they may not be able to do if they didn't have the resources. So my goal is just to always be a resource and to really support people in you know, um, developing our institutions to better serve people in the community and then really um, providing the type of support community folks really need to thrive in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been able to do if they didn't understand um, the way our systems really work. 
Right, right. And, you know, talking about how you want to go into economic development, that's the perfect time to bring up, you know, your side hustles. I don't want to call them side hustles um, because these are things that you're extremely passionate about and you're not doing them for the sake of money. You're doing it for the sake of actually being of service. Um, So I just wanted to touch on some of those things. So the first one I know you want to go into we're still finding the right word because I know you don't want to call it like life coaching or anything. And I know you're still kind of finding the right word, but in essence, that's somewhat what you're thinking of doing as well as consultancy um, for smaller businesses. So can you talk about how, you know, the process of starting those businesses, you know, like some of like how much of a challenge has it been for you to kind of, get the ball rolling on those those parts for you um it's been really challenging um i would say because starting your own business especially in the beginning is is really like full-time work and because i tend to be preoccupied with school or work or whatever it, it doesn't give me as much time to dedicate to my business um but i do find opportunities i, I think what is um, helpful for me is that people know the work that I do. So people always find me, um, which is great because then I can just um, schedule appointments and and just go that way. But I haven't really had the opportunity to market myself. I've been trying to qu- create my website for forever. Um, I do have some things that are in the works coming up this month, um, but I don't get to spend as much time as I really would like to, to develop these initiatives. Um, but it doesn't mean I'm giving up. I think self-sustainability is really important. I think everybody should have multiple streams of income. Um, I think we should think about owning land and owning property. I think that it's really important to our sense of economic development. I feel like everybody has a skill that they already know. They may not know that they know um, that they can turn into a business or a way of producing income. And um, for me, you know, I did a little bit of research, a little bit of digging and, you know, a lot of feedback that I got was that I, I already do the coaching stuff, right? Like I, I have these conversations mm. with people and, yeah. you know, I'm, if I'm already doing it, maybe I should find a way to get paid for it. So exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I try to find opportunities to coach. If anybody's interested in coaching, you know, I'm definitely available, but it's not something that I've been promoting because I really don't have the time. Unfortunately, I think I would love to do it. Um, but even I, I'm a, a volunteer for a program called Social Enterprise Greenhouse, which is really working with entrepreneurs and, and supporting them in that work. And I'm also on the board of some other organizations. So it's really hard to like find time to do my own work. But what I'm hoping for is that, you know, in the next couple of years, I'll have more of a solid idea of where I am in terms of my work schedule and in terms of um, the amount of time and effort that I'm willing to give to sort of all of these initiatives. And I will really spend time focusing on my own initiatives, which I think are really important. Um, I've actually been doing a lot of uh, planning, like three-year planning, five-year planning, and creating a structure that allows me to figure out what I'm going to focus on when. Um, So that way I'm not trying to prioritize everything at the same time. Um, and I think that's really going to help me to figure out when and how to spend um, the most efficient amount of time building out my business. Mm, inshallah, inshallah. 
again, the it's just dynamic, some of the things you've done. We didn't mention this, but you also are an author. You're a published author. You have a book of poems. Um, yes. You know, you also have a blog that you, I don't, do you still keep up with your blog? I'm not sure. Um, but you also a had a, <laughs> it's what? I'm sorry. It's been a while. Yeah. So you also had a blog that, you know, you were posting on often. And even from the blog, you can see how passionate you are about just, you know, community. And I know that's a big thing for you, community, um, especially as a Nigerian Muslim. So in these final like minutes of the podcast, I just wanted you to, you know, advocate for some of those things that are passionate for you the economic development, the community, the coaching, just advocating for it and letting people know like the importance of these things and how far they can take us all in the long run and support us later on down the line, even though we might not, you know, think too much about it. Um, so I think, you know, being self-sustainable is really important. Um, both if you're an organization and if you're an individual, I think relying on assistance from others can be detrimental. As we're seeing even now from COVID, right? A lot of people are being let go from their jobs. Um, so I think, you know, understanding that, you know, you could lose your job at any time, anything could happen and finding ways to be supported, um, even if that happens, I think is, is always a good idea. Um, mm. and, and you'll notice that whenever something happens, the black community gets affected the most, right? So like a lot of mm. people of color are the ones who are suffering the most right now. So I think it's really important to know what the long-term goals are. Having multiple streams of income, I think is absolutely important. Um, being self-sustainable, um, even nonprofit organizations, I am working with a couple of nonprofit organizations to rely a little bit less on grants and really develop solid par- partnerships. Because again, you can't mm. rely on a grant all the time, right? Grants go away when the economy is not doing well, something always happens, right? So I think it's really important to use your skills to really figure out how to be uh, sustainable. And then I think giving back to your community is just always essential, right? Like I feel like I've been extremely blessed and I, I feel like there have been so many people to support me. And I feel like, you know, I'm one of those people who thinks that, you know, if it affects one person, it affects all of us. So it does do no good to watch somebody else suffer while I'm you know, doing well. I think anything that happens to anyone is my problem. So if there's anything that I can do to be supportive, um, I it's my obligation to do that, right? I'm only blessed or I'm only not in that person's position only because uh, of the grace of God. I could easily be in that position tomorrow or I could have been in that position which would prevent me from, from benefiting today. So um, it's always gonna be important for me to not only give back, but to teach the skills that we need to really propel our um, communities forward. Um, and, and just in terms of the Muslim community, I would say I would actually love to build a little bit more with the Muslim community. I, I feel like um, I have not been able to connect with more Muslims around ideas of economic development or social justice reform and things like that. I would love to to be a part of any type of gatherings or groups or, you know, just have uh more opportunities to really think about how we can support and advocate for ourselves. I know, um, for example, in the city as the Muslim American liaison, we have an opportunity to create or allow ourselves to be a part of the narrative um, of the story of of slavery and and growing from it. And I found that I've had to do that and bring people in to really try to advocate on behalf of the Muslims that were part of the revolutions that occurred. 
So it would just be helpful, you know, to like create more of a sense of community um, and use to propel our stories and propel each other forward as much as possible. Mm. So you just dropped a super interesting fact, but we're already running out of time. So I can't even ask you more about that because I'm extremely interested in how, you know, like the impact you're making as the Black Muslim um, representative, basically, of the city, um, well, liaison for the city. Um, But unfortunately, we're kind of like running out of time, so we can't, you know, go further into detail on that. Maybe you'll join us for another episode, inshallah. Let's pray for that. Um, But it was absolutely wonderful to have this discussion with you, on this conversation with you. I think it can serve as, you know, a boost to a lot of people who might be feeling dejected. Um, especially in the times we are. And like you said, um, it's it's beneficial to have multiple streams of income. I know like in the last episode, we were saying how, you know, you don't have to have a side hustle. Um, it's not absolutely necessary, but you can invest, you can um, uh, buy property, um, you can just have like sustainable long-term things that you're doing that can then serve as uh, another source of income. So we don't always have to think in the mindset of, oh, I have this side hustle, I'm selling this, I'm making this, I'm doing this. Sometimes investments can go a long way. Of course, you know, doing it um, in a halal fashion. But um, I think I think it's very insightful. Go, go ahead. I just want to add to that and just say briefly that it's important to understand finances I feel like I invest a lot of time in just understanding my own finances and budgeting and um, thinking about the way that I spend um, money. Um, I think that's all a part of it. So I I feel like in in the process of learning how to invest, I think it's important to just think about your finances in general and find a structure that's going to um, benefit you now, but also benefit maybe your your. The, the future generations that come after you. And, and I think it, it might be worth sitting with right. a financial planner or really thinking about for yourself how, how to really um, move your finances in a way that makes sense for you. Right, for sure, definitely. And that's, that's, that's another important fact. If it's something that you feel like you don't have, you know, the, the scope to cover by yourself, you can always get a financial planner. Um, if it's worth the investment, then you should you should work on it. For sure, inshallah. But thank you very much for joining us. It was <clears throat> an amazing conversation. Um, may Allah continue to uh, guide you mm-hmm. on the right path. And may you find success in all that you do. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, keep pushing for us. Keep representing us. You know, you're a Black Muslim woman. And you are... It's written on your face, you know, you're black, it's on your face, you're a woman, it's on your face, you wear a hijab, you're a Muslim, it's on your face. So you're not shying away from, you know, the more difficult parts of the world and facing it head on. I think it's an inspiration and please keep doing what you're doing. It's wonderful. Um, but thank you everyone that listened today. Any final words, Sister Mazurit? Do you want to advertise yourself, your (laughs) social media, how people can find you, all of your businesses, things like that? Um, I'm actually not on social media. I am on LinkedIn. That's about it for now. Um, and an app called Shaper, but you won't find me on most social media avenues. I mean, 
I can leave my email with you. People can feel free to reach me via email. Um, just, I, I just want to say thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And if I could be helpful to anyone in any way, I'm definitely here. So um, I, I just want to put that out there. Inshallah, you heard the lady. Please reach out to her. She has the services. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Muslims on the Move, an audio experience. Brought to you by Muslims on the Move, a program of APC. Let us know what you think about this episode. Share this episode with a friend so they can also benefit. Follow us on Instagram at Advanced Platform and subscribe to our mailing list by visiting APC's website at apc.ncnmo.org. Thanks for listening. Assalamu alaikum.